Welcome to The Course Reports, your real deal inside look in the professional golf venues around the world. We're here to give it to you straight, the smooth and true facts from a perspective that nobody else can, inside the ropes, on the green, with the people that are making it happen. I'm Curtis Tyrell, Certified Golf Course Superintendent, Master Greenkeeper. This week, we're talking with Ralph Keppel, Director of Agronomy, Certified Golf Course Superintendent at East Lake Golf Club. FedEx Cup Playoffs, wrapping up now. It's going to be a good one, and this is a great podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It's time to get on the green. It's time for the course reports. This episode is brought to you by Canon Golf. Asset Assurance, Elevated Experience. Find it at canongolf.com. Well, the FedEx Cup playoffs are about to wrap it up at the annual tour championship at Eastlake Golf Club, famous place, famous golf course, with a famous golf course superintendent in our world, Mr. Ralph Keppel, certified golf course superintendent, director of agronomy. Ralph, welcome to the course reports. Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate it. Hey, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. This is a, a hectic time period for you. So again, appreciate you jumping on here. How's everything going for you as we speak? It's going pretty well. Um, our biggest difficulty right now is it's just so hot. We hit 100 on Tuesday and it's been mid 90s all week. And, you know, all the extra work you got to do advance week, guys are, you know, they're, they're manning up and trying to get through it, but it's just, it's hard on everybody. Yeah, tournament's hard enough, uh, but when you're swimming upstream against some challenging weather, it's it's like uh, four or five X hard, no? Yeah, I, you know, I'll take the heat over having a bunch of really severe thunderstorms. Been through that before, and that's much worse. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I wouldn't definitely get into the heat and the turf and all that stuff that's going on, but why don't we start with a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, uh, where are you from and, and how you ended up at East Lake, which I know you've had an amazing run there. Maybe maybe one of the longest runs uh, going as, as we speak throughout the industry. Um, started there in 1992, so you're going on 27 years here. Um, that's a heck of a story, but uh, how'd you end up there in Atlanta? Well, uh, I grew up in Mount Vernon, Ohio. It's a little town, about 15,000 people between Columbus and Akron. Um, on a small little farm, but right across the road from our farm was a public golf course, uh, family owned. And uh, I had four, three brothers and two of them worked there uh, in high school. And I started working there when I was 13 for playing privileges, just going odds and ends, picking up rocks when they ran a sewer line through the course and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, went to uh, the Ohio State University Got an agronomy degree, uh, specialty in turf. Worked in Ohio as an assistant for uh, five and a half years. Uh, and there's just, at that particular time, wasn't a whole lot happening in Ohio. Uh, not a lot of new courses being built, not a lot of movement going on. So started looking uh, in Atlanta. I had a, at the time, a girlfriend had moved down here and I started looking down here and there was quite a few opportunities here. Uh, interviewed at a few places and landed at a really good golf club called Setting Down Creek. Um, Courtney Young is a certified superintendent there. He's been there since 1987, so he's got me beat. 
Wow. He grew it in and he's still there. Um, but worked there for a couple of years. Uh, the job at Eastlake when it opened was one that not many people were overly interested in because Eastlake was at that time very run down um, and not in a great area. It was a course that you know, had great bones, but had been very much neglected. They just didn't have a whole lot of money, but uh, went there and interviewed. I, uh, we were talking about, you know, trying to make improvements to the golf course, bring in new members, use that initiation money to do more improvements. And, and for two years, we were doing a pretty good job of doing that, you know, just getting into basic agronomics and getting things back to, to norm. and making improvements and of course conditions improved we started getting more interest in memberships and um, but i didn't know at the time that, that there was a 25-year agreement that was about to end with the, the existing uh, group of people that owned it so we were went on the selling block by that second year i was there a little nerve-wracking uh it, it was it was uh it was difficult because we had a crew of about five i had an assistant and myself who were uh, on salary and we we weren't allowed to have any overtime that whole year so my assistant and i worked all the overtime <laughs> oh it was uh it was eye-opening but it was it was a good experience for me learned a lot yeah learned a lot um uh, and Tom Cousins, who was a local real estate developer, bought the club in December of 93 um, with hopes to renovate it and kind of make it a little bit more, more what it once was. Because it was at one time one of the best clubs in, in America and had been known as the St. Andrews of the United States because of the number of great golfers that came out of it. Right. Bobby Jones being one of them, but Alexis Sterling and uh, Tommy Barnes and Charles Harrison. And there's there's a long list. Watts Gunn. Uh, Watts Gunn and, and Bobby Jones played in the finals of the U.S. Amateur. I can't remember which year it was. Um, the only time that two members of the same club met in the finals. Oh, no kidding. It's pretty cool. That uh, is actually, cool. And I actually did get to meet Watts Gunn. Uh, not long after I started here, he passed away shortly after that. But, uh, you know, that, you know, that kind of, uh, those kind of stories are, are really cool. And, and, I, you know, you, what's interesting to me is that you hear about the history and, and the, the prestigious membership and the golf rich membership that's come out of, of East Lake, but you don't hear that at one point in time when you joined them, it was almost forgotten. And the whole area was forgotten. It almost and I mean, disappeared. They were down to under 100 members at one point. Wow. So. And uh, and so uh, Mr. Cousins comes in and um, and purchases it in 1993, and commits to you. And you're 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 already turning the agronomy around, although you're doing it with five people. <laughs> but um, from there, it's it's really just taken off and become you know world renowned again obviously so that i mean what a journey you've been on since that time yeah it has been it's been kind of a dream it, it, it's hard to put into words the amount of change that i've seen not only at the golf course but in the neighborhood this is a desirable area of atlanta now people are trying to move here and the 
the homes that I could have bought in 1992 for 40 to 60 thousand dollars are now four to six hundred thousand dollars and right it's just it's crazy um yeah it's it's just been something really special to be a part of i bet man so it was originally laid out i believe in and around 1908 by tom bendelow is that right and then donald ross kind of recrafted it and made it uh uh, what it was in its its golden days in around 1913. Do I have that right? Yeah, it was chartered in, in 1904. Uh, and I believe they started construction in 1904 and they opened nine holes in, ni- in 1906. Okay. But in 1908, they opened the full 18 and had their official grand opening uh, July 4th, 1908. And yes, uh, Donald Ross came in in 1913 um completely changed it and then in 59 george cobb came in and did a renovation and prior to having the 63 Ryder cup here wow reese tried to bring it back to the to ross golf course or at least the, the bones of it um the routing and whatnot um, when when george cobb made his changes it was very much a maintenance friendly kind of design very uh-huh. different than, than Ross. Uh, and he was trying to make it look more like that, kind of a, a you know, a modified restoration, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. So, so Cobb really changed it and took a lot of the, let's just call it unique features out in, in efforts to streamline maintenance or, or, or it just was, carry yeah i think it was sort of the the way things were going at that time the way things were being built you know it was right the bunkers were you know far enough from the green that you could run a piece of equipment between the green and the bunker a substantial piece right uh, bunkers were pretty big but they were soft slope they weren't hard to maintain in general yeah and then when reese came in and you know, the biggest fight I had with him was how close to the green were you putting the bunker? I had to have room to turn a mower. Yeah, he he wanted to get it as close as possible, give you no room for yeah. any machine. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't call it an argument. I lost it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, when I the first day I met Reese on a project in Connecticut, you know, I was really excited to meet him, and it was early in the the stage of the build of this golf course, and he said hey i'm really glad you're here i said thanks and he said hey every time i come to the golf course i want to make sure that you are on the tour with me in case something that i'm designing you know has an impact on maintenance in some way and i i thought wow that's really cool and i said yeah that'd be great And he goes i'm not going to listen to you but you can come and tell me if <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know we had a laugh he was yeah, kidding of course sounds like reese very much uh, yeah exactly I, I get it i mean you know for the golf course to look like it used to look the bunkers needed to be tight to the greens and, and we understood that it was just trying to find that right balance and, and we came out fine um i think the first year i had somebody actually slide off a bunker face with the mower coming down on top of them and i had to let them know about that the next time i saw them See, I told you. <laughs> yeah well, he, he really changed it then. So he, 
he tried to get back to the bones of the Ross golf course and, and did some rerouting and changed some pars and, and did a lot of, well, a lot the, of work. The interesting thing was we had a lot of old members that were still alive at the time that remembered the, well, they remembered the Ross course, but they remembered it differently. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had like four of them that we would go around with and they'd, the thing was the Ross course had a winter and summer green. So they had two greens on every hole. Now that's and, interesting. Yeah. So some of them were, they're side by side and there may, may have just been a, you know, a deep ridge between them or one was higher, one was lower. There might be a bunker between them. Like that. A few of them were pretty far apart. They're, what is now our 17th hole actually played as a par three in the winter time and a par four in the summer. Those were, were very different holes. So it was kind of like you got to pick and choose which of those two greens complexes work better. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, winter and summer, I mean, I, you know, specifically, why were they classified like that? Turf, turf I think, driven? I think it was the, they overseeded the winter ah, yeah. green and the, you know, didn't oversee the summer green and I'm going to guess that it was probably common Bermuda on those greens at the time. It, right. Yeah, so you ever see it and you come out in the summertime and be mud. So there were yeah. several courses that did that. I believe that, you know, in Japan, they still do it. They still have a lot of Zoysia greens for part of the year and bent grass greens for part of the year. It's interesting. Right. Well, that's uh well, that is cool. So, um, Reese went to work on it and, 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 you know, the 1993, 94 era. And, uh, now it's, it's manifested into, uh, like I said, uh, what it is today back to its glory of you've had the tour championship there, uh, since 2005. This will be our 19th, 19th tour championship. We had our first one in 98. We were alternating with champions. In okay. Houston every other year for a while. Right. Okay. And uh, we had it in two. We had it the even year, so we had it ninety eight, two thousand, two thousand three, two thousand four, and then we've had it every year since two thousand four. Awesome. I mean, uh, that's a long run. So you know, what's it? What's it like to have every single year of your season knowing that you've got one of golf's major events uh, culminating in a uh, at the end of your golf season? And I guess now there's a little bit of a different play on it with the new schedule, but um, that's pressure to have that every year. No. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves, uh, we will review a tournament every year after the event and try and figure out what can we improve on. And, you know, we, we try to find things that we can do better. And it, it isn't always about the golf course. Sometimes it's about your, your volunteer, base and how can you do things better for them most of the time we're trying to figure out something better for the golf course and uh, it was awfully good last year so it's hard to find some things to do this year but we're we're on a pretty good pace right now i think we're going to be really really good oh man that's exciting when when you talk about uh the run of tour championships that you've had there was a point in time where you converted from bent grass to Bermuda, uh, hybrid Bermuda on your greens. When was that? Uh, we converted in 2008. Okay. 
We had so the, we had that first FedEx Cup when we first moved to the first part of September, and we knew it was going to be a challenge on bent grass here, and it turned out to be one of the hottest Augusts ever. We were in the hundreds quite a bit, and we we really struggled going into that event. Uh, and we had been talking with the tour about potentially changing the Bermuda at the time. We were sort of in hindsight, stupidly, but we were sort of fighting it. And uh, it's been yeah, a growing creeping bent grass putting greens and in, in that part of the country is incredibly difficult to do. And the summers are very hard to get through. So you know, now that you've done both, um, what which one uh, which one do you prefer? I mean, I'm sure they both have challenges. I'm sure the Bermuda is not just a no brainer. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that at the time everybody was saying that the altar doors had fewer disease issues and all that. And we're spending more on fungicides now, I think than we did in bent grass. No kidding. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, putting wise, I think our greens putt better, uh, in Bermuda, in Bermuda grass year round. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're, kind of look at it like the difference is in, in the summertime on bent grass we were just trying to survive summer right yeah you, know, you try and make them as playable and as good as you can and you, you can push them a little but you can't push them a lot right uh, on bermuda grass we're in the summertime we're trying to make them better all the time we're verticating them we're airifying them we're top dressing it's doing all the things that we were sort of afraid to do on bent grass so it's it's a very different mindset you know, but once you get that change in your brain it's uh i don't know, I'd take ultra door any day i still yeah. think i can make a better putting surface out of them yeah they're hard to argue with um you know at the top levels i mean it, they're just they're really firm number one and um they can just get lightning quick i mean and uh, the density is outrageous what what do you uh, what particular variety do you have uh, we have mini verde mini verde okay so that you know that one came onto the market with a real big bang a lot of people were uh were loving it and it is really really beautiful it's got great color great density um but you don't see many people planting that um these days uh, they send they tend to lean to the eagle it just i guess it depends on the region but you know there's a lot of talk about mutation and contamination um, what are you seeing with yours? Are they, um, do you struggle with any of that or have they maintained themselves pretty, pretty pure? No, we see it. Uh, and there's, we have what we call off types and, uh, we, we sent some samples of ours off to the university of Tennessee and had them grow it out and compare it to true mini verde. And basically the one we have is a very mild, it's, I've seen some that's really hideous. Ours is not really noticeable. The only difference in the plant is the leaf length is about 17 millimeters versus seven. On the average mini verde plant, it's seven on our off type is 17, but internet spacing is the same. Everything's the same except that leaf length. When you see it on the green, it just looks like kind of a slightly, it looks like a slightly wider texture to the, to the patch. But it's mm -hmm. so minute that it, I've never really seen it affect ball roll, but we are definitely seeing more of it every year. Interesting. We're, we're 25 years old on these greens, so we're, we're 
to the point where we need to be renovating anyway, and we're seeing some drainage issues and deep down in them at the gravel layer. And it's so we're doing a master plan right now, Reese, trying to get that pushed through, hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. So recently, in the last few years, you guys reversed the nines uh, for the event. Do you do that for regular play also? We did. Uh, we originally were not going to, but you know, most of our plays corporate play. They watch a lot of golf they all wanted to play the golf course the same way to play the tour pros play it so yeah we ended up switching it and that started talk, you know some talks about we need to make a few changes because the first hole wasn't really designed to be a first hole the tee's too small and there's things we need to change so that master plans is in the or master plan is in the early stages and you guys are considering a a few different design changes along the way. And then there's going to be some agronomic uh, infrastructure or grassing uh, improvements or conversions along with that. Uh, yeah, we're going to, we'll rebuild greens. We're probably going to move a few greens um, in large part to move them away from shade issues. We've got some trees that we just consider untouchable. I see. Uh, and, and it's going to actually, in my opinion, it's going to create some pretty good interest on this holes anyway. It'll it'll make a whole turn a little bit more one way or another. So probably the biggest knock on our what's now our front nine is every hole seems to play straight. It didn't used to, but as far as people hit the ball now, they they do. Right. So we're gonna yeah. you know we're gonna try and make a few changes to to help you know alleviate that issue. Uh, and, and at the same time alleviate shade issues. We're going to rebuild bunkers and rebuild tees, uh, regrass tees with uh, probably Zorro Zoysia. Uh, we're going to change our approaches. Um, right now they're they're 419. Uh, we're going to change that to uh, Trinity Zoysia, I think, is where we're going to land. Okay. I really like it so far. We've, we've been playing around with it, and it's, it has stayed really firm for us. And the thing I like about it is uh, I can I can apply turf long fuselage to it to keep Bermuda out of it. Uh, with the 419 right. approach, I'm kind of stuck. Right. So uh, that'll help. Um, I don't know what we're going to do on greens yet. We, we just did a 100-yard range renovation this spring. Put uh, four varieties, five plots. I got two fifty eagle plots from different farms. Uh, a experimental from the University of Georgia that's very similar to fifty eagle, but it's going to be you know, fresh and new, and will be basically registered stock. Uh, we've got a Mach one plot and a mini birdie plot. So we're watching, watching those, see how they do over time. Mach one. I haven't heard of that one yet. That, 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 that's a new one. It is a new one. It's uh, if you're familiar with Rodney Lingle it, when he was at Memphis country club, it was a selection off of one of his greens, I believe. So something he's, he's been playing and toying with now for, for quite a while. I believe it's related to champion. Well, I think what's really cool for our listeners is, is that, you know, at the highest level, uh, golf course superintendents and, and, and the industry is measuring internodes and, and leaf length and scrutinizing even the finest level details. And when it comes to a project and a master plan, it's years in the making with test plots on your range, 
um, studying firmness, uh, converting species of grasses. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that goes into it that, uh, you know, is at a high level of detail really, really early before you even put, even think about putting a dozer in the ground. Yeah, we'd like to at least have, I would have liked to have had three years uh, on this green to really get a good feel for it. The, the, the project got delayed a year, and so I, we may only get two. I'm hoping we only get two because I'd really like to get this renovation going. Right. What would be the time frame to execute that work? Well, it's going to be very tight. Uh, what we're talking about doing is immediately after the tour championship, hopefully in 2021, we would close and start the renovation and work through the winter and do a lot of the planting in the spring. Mm -hmm. And we may try and stage some different elements of that. I'd like to try and get a new pump station and mainline. That's another thing we're going to need a new irrigation system. Mm -hmm. yeah, we'd like to run mainline in the winter prior to that so that it'll make it that much quicker to finish that irrigation out. Right. And when you do it, if you were to do it according to that timeline, then you would uh, be planting in the spring and the tour championship would go on as scheduled. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We had it, yeah. we had it in 2008. We planted May 30th, June 1st, and we reopened for the tour championship and hopefully we can open maybe a little before the tour championship, but we'll, we'll see how everything comes together. A lot of work right. to get done. So I don't know. It's going to be a very tight schedule. Yeah, you're going to be a busy guy, really busy. Um, let's talk about the um, the golf course um, as far as it's set up for the tournament. What's the what's the official length on the uh, Tour Championship uh, scorecard? I don't have the card in front of me, but it's 73. I want to say about 73.70 is a par 70. And you were saying you're real happy with the way things are coming together condition-wise? Yeah, tees and fairways are really, really good, and the rough is super. And it's just really dense. Uh, we we do some things to it to try and help balls kind of nestle down into a two and a half inch Bermuda rough. So uh, you know, it's not just uh, it's not just wedging it out for these guys, but it's kind of like they can't control the ball. So the, the right. goal is that they. You know, they, they try and be the hero and hit a shot and they put themselves in a worse position. You gotta yeah. be smart about what you're doing. You know, are there are there anything, and I'm sure there are to, to some degree, but we've talked with a lot of the guys holding events about having the PGA Tour in to, uh, in advance week and, and in advance of the tournament uh, to prepare agronomy specs and standards. Um, anything uniquely special? I mean, at each site it's special, but because it's a tour championship, is there any type of conditioning target that you guys shoot for that separates you? Now, Curtis, we, our goal each and every year is for at the end of this event for the players to say that was the best condition course we played all year, knowing that this is the last tournament of the year. Right. right. And that's, I mean, what higher goal can we have? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, we, that's a big one. Yeah, we, we do our best, and I think last year we did get a lot of those comments. It was, it was just a fantastic tournament, and uh, I couldn't be happier for our team. And I think we're going to have very similar results this year. Oh, that's awesome. 
You know, the, the golf course gets a lot of um, great comments from the players, uh, from the conditioning uh, that you're you're working on, but also the, the the layout and everything. I mean, they love coming there. I mean, it's a big a big deal. It's a prestigious thing, obviously, but they really they really seem to love coming back each year. Which, um, you know, there's only a few sites on tour where it's like that. Yeah, Georgia Spieth came this spring and played 18 holes. He was doing something with Coca-Cola who sponsors them. And um, he said it's one of his favorite courses that he, he wants to be here every year. And it, I think the thing I hear and the comments I read and hear from players a lot is that it's very straightforward. Everything's right out in front of you. It's not a tricked up golf course. Uh, the closest thing we have to a tricked up hole really is the 14th hole, which is a par five for members. And it's the only really blind tee shot. And it's a fairly narrow fairway for a blind tee shot, but there's not really any room to expand it either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, uh, I think that's the, the main thing. I mean, that it's just, it's very straightforward and, you know, old time kind of golf course. It's, I think I think these guys really like courses like that. Right, right. In in good amount of trees, it's got a tree line feel to it. Yeah, maybe too much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting that you call it a couple trees untouchable, you know. Um uh it's weird, you know. I mean, certain architects and and kind of the trend these days in certain places just to just whack them all down and take them out and then you know, you get into the club level and the politics and people that are out there every day, they, they just love certain trees. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting that you guys are going to take a different route and and uh, move greens. Well, if we can do it, we will. Uh, there's a few holes where we're, we're going to have to take a few trees out here and there just because over time they've grown. And you know, like I said, 25 years ago, over 25 years, some of those trees weren't very big then and they're they're creating problems and uh, right you know we, right. we need to fix that one way or another whether it's by removing a few trees I mean, we're, we've done tree shade studies we're doing the best we can to minimize it i even we had the studies done this year on six greens with the full intent of moving the green and that was our goal is where can we put this green where we're going to be better right right well when the viewers are watching the tour championship this year, is there anything that they're going to notice or see, um, or maybe they won't notice or see, but you'd like to, to make note of something, some message or, or, or comment that you'd like people watching the golf tournament to know. Oh gosh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think this golf course is for the everyday play when we're, you know, mowing rough and everything, it's not extremely difficult. It's, it can be had. I think when a player is playing well, even when the rough is up, if a player is playing well, they're going to score good. And every year somebody out here shoots some low number, at least one round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at the person that does that, I'll bet you're going to find that they hit 14 fairways or mm-hmm. you know, 12 to 14, 16 greens, things like that. And 
if you hit it in the rough, you're going to have a difficult time. Right. There was a couple of years ago, Mickelson was playing. It was before the Ryder Cup at Hazeltine, and he was testing a new driver in the Tour Championship. <laughs> and in the first round, he didn't hit a fairway until number 17. Uh -huh. And it was miraculous that he was still somewhere around par. That's no kidding. I don't know how he did it. That sounds like Phil, right? Testing a new driver in the Tour Championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he, he just kind of gave up on this event. He was focused on that one. Interesting. Well, um, last year was just such a cool thing to watch you know i mean tiger winning and, and the way that all went down on sunday um tell us a little bit uh what it was like from your seat to be there for such a big event in the history of the game there was a huge amount of energy last year with him here and you know it's been what four or five years at least since he'd been actually maybe seven years since he'd been here and there was just this electricity to him being here and he was playing well. And I mentioned this last night on, uh, on, uh, the PGA radio that he just seemed like a different person last year, more relaxed, more approachable, um, just more genuine. It seemed, and it was much easier I found for myself and a lot of people I talked to to root for him last year. Hmm. And it was interesting that on Sunday, I, I don't think you'd have found very many people out there that were not rooting for him to win. Yeah. 25 plus thousand people out here. I think right. 24,999 were rooting for Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And the, just, yeah. the whole scene down 18 fairway was just surreal and reminded me of the old British opens when they used to do that. And that's right. I wish they could still do it, but I guess for security reasons, they've, they've had to stop it, but it was a lot of fun. It was a little frightening for a few minutes because we were standing up in the approach and just saw this herd of people running at us and <laughs> weren't too sure we were going to survive it. Right. I mean, was there any part of your superintendent genetics that thought, you know, look at all those people on my fairway? At that point, it didn't matter. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, right. it really didn't matter. The funny thing <laughs> is, you know, they've our, our tour championship office was asking people to send in their videos that they took. Because I, I, I swear I was the only person that didn't have their cell phone out taking video. <laughs> <laughs> you can see like there's a bunker about 40 yards short of the green on the left and there's a guy doing snow angels in the bunker <laughs> oh man <laughs> somebody tried to walk on the bus when they left with a with a bunker rake what are you thinking yeah, it's just it was a big party, man. Was. Everybody was, was celebrating. Was party, like uh, People were having fun, and people wanted to keep part of it with them, I guess. But uh, we kind of needed those things. <laughs> yeah. But the snow angel thing, was that just cracked me up. 
Oh man. Imagine riding on the bus with that sand down your back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it probably had sand in a few places he didn't expect yeah. to have by yeah. going to a golf course, that's for sure. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, you know, congratulations on just an incredible run at East Lake Golf Club, you know, just year after year putting it out there for the best players in the world and all the fans of golf to see and and uh, for being such a leader in the industry, I know you've mentored a lot of guys and, and you've hosted a lot of people and volunteer programs from students to fellow soups. But, you know, um, it's, it's a great event every year. Looking forward to watching it. And um, again, congratulations to you. Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care and have a great week. And uh, hopefully maybe after things settle down, we can get you back on and talk about your project in a little more detail. And uh, I know people would love to hear about it. As soon as we can get it figured out. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thank you. Well, I'd like to extend a big thank you to Ralph Keppel. 27-year career at Eastlake Golf Club. That is something special. And he's doing it year after year live on television for all the golf fans out there at the Tour Championship, Eastlake Golf Club. Don't want to miss it this week. We've got a lot of great podcasts planned for the fall, so I want to just update you on our website. So it's been in development and it's coming together, and pretty soon you're going to be able to subscribe there, and then that way we're going to be able to email you with new things, uh, new topics, new ideas, stuff that's coming out, etc. as well as you'll be able to email us with some ideas or some guests you'd like to hear about or some other things that uh, you want us to cover on The Course Report. So please go to www.thecoursereports.com. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Love to hear it. Also, our YouTube channel, The Course Reports. We need you to subscribe to it, please. So please go on there, turn on your notifications, subscribe, share it with your friends. We've got four great videos up. And we got more planned for the fall season, and we're working on our 2020 calendar as we speak. So again, we appreciate all the great feedback. It's been really positive, and people are enjoying it. And we're thrilled about that. So we are using that motivation to keep it going and we continue to bring it to you strong. So again, the course reports on YouTube, subscribe, turn on your notifications, share it, as well as thecoursereports.com. All of the podcasts are on thecoursereports.com, but you can also download them every week from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. So we're signing off for this week. We're going to be turning the whole season around and starting fresh as we move into September. We look forward to you listening. We look forward to a great year ahead on The Course Reports. Thanks. Signing out. This episode is brought to you by Dave Thompson's Organic Healthy Grow and Healthy Grow Professional Brand Fertilizers. It's sustainable, it's organic, it's best in class. Find it at a retailer near you or online at healthygrow.com green. The way it's made matters. Healthygrow.com green.